is from the Shobogenzo collection, case 28. The dragon howling in the withered tree. The main case. Yang Yang was once asked by a monk, what is the way? Yang Yang said, a dragon howling in a withered tree. The monk said, what does it mean? Zhang Yan said, eyeballs in the skull. Later, another monk asked Shishuang, what is a dragon howling in a dead tree? Shishuang said, it still has joy. The monk said, what are eyeballs in the skull? Shishuang said, they still have senses. Later, another monk asked Zen master Benji Kaoshan, what is the dragon howling in a willow tree? Kaoshan said, bloodstream has not stopped. The monk said, and what are eyeballs in the skull? Kaoshan said, dry all the way. The monk said, I wonder, can anyone hear it? Kaoshan said, throughout the entire earth, there is no one who does not hear it. And the monk said, which verse does the dragon sing? Kaoshan said, I do not know which verse it is, but all those who hear it are lost. Commentary. Do not mistake a withered tree for a dead tree. It abounds with life and celebrates each and every spring with new foliage. It's just that Few have realized this. As for the dragon's roar, actually everyone is able to hear it because it exists everywhere. And yet, there can be no dragon's roar unless there is a withered tree. Capping verse. Letting out the hook just to fish out the dragons, the mysterious devices outside of convention are only for those who wish to know the self. So in this koan we meet Zhang Yang, Kyogen in Japanese, who you may remember from the koan Kyogen's Men Up a Tree which appears twice in our koan study, the miscellaneous koans, and then the mumon koan. So in today's koan, Zhang Yan appears as a seasoned teacher, but for the benefit of uh, illuminating our own struggles on the path, it can be helpful to look at the difficult journey he had to go through prior to becoming great Zen master. Now we, we tend to think there's more meaning and glamour in the role of a teacher or leader. And in doing so, the attention glances over the years, years of study, dedicated study, years of frustrations, 
challenges, despair. We see and hear a teacher. We hear a teacher's words like we, we hear here, and we think, wow, this is amazing. And that's where the attention is trapped. We need to look at our own struggles and realize that it's pretty much the same. Different versions of the same struggle. There's a line from an introduction to a different koan that says, No one knows about the sweating horses of the past. They only want to emphasize the achievement that crowns the age. I think we don't want to know. It's not very appealing to hear about the difficulties. We have our own. We don't want to hear other people's difficulties. Zhang Yang first studied with Pai Cheng, like Wang Po from yesterday's koan. And although he was very bright and knowledgeable, he wasn't able to break through. He was very stuck. He felt very stuck. And so after Pai Cheng died, Zhang Yang went to study with Guishan. And one day Guishan said to Zhang Yang, I'm not asking you about what's your knowledge from reading scriptures. You must say something from the time before you were born and the time before you could distinguish objects. Jiang Yan was confused, unable to answer, nothing to rely on. So he sat in deep thought for a while and then mumbled a few words to explain his understanding. But Guishan rejected it. That happened for a little while, over and over again. So Jiang Yan said, then would the master please explain it? And Guishan said, What I might say would merely be my own understanding. How could that benefit your own view? Jiang Yan returned to the monk's hall and searched through all his books. Books, commentaries, his own comments, and could not find a single phrase that would be appropriate as an answer to Guishan's question. Then, Zhang Yan sighed and said, a picture of a cake will not satisfy one's hunger. He then burned all his books and said, during this lifetime I will not study the essential doctrine. I'll just become a common mendicant monk. And I won't apply my mind to this anymore. So he gave up. He then devoted his time to take care of a gravesite of one of the ancient masters. And, as you may remember, the common, very famous story of his realization, one day he was sweeping the ground and a pebble flung from his broom hit the bamboo. That sound woke him up. A deep realization at that moment. He then wrote a verse. The verse says, One strike and all knowledge is forgotten. No more 
the mere pretense of practice. That's interesting, the pretense of practice. Right? That's just there, we have to look at that. What does it mean to practice? It doesn't mean to hold on to a pretense of it. So no more pretense of practice, transformed to uphold the ancient path, not sunk in idle devices, far and wide, not a trace is left. The great purpose lies beyond sound and form, in every direction, the realized way, beyond all speech, the ultimate principle. So then he asked the monk, another monk, to take this verse to his teacher, Guishan. Guishan looked at it and said, this disciple has finally penetrated. But it doesn't end there. Yangshan, who was Guishan's main disciple, was right there, heard about this, read the verse, and said, this is a good representation of mind function, but wait until I personally go to check out Zhang Yan's realization. So later, Yangshan met with Zhang Yan and said, Master Guishan has praised the great matter of your awakening. What do you say as evidence for it? In other words, that's all you've got. So Zhang Yan then recited his previous verse. Yang Chan said, this verse could be composed from the thing you've studied earlier. If you've had a genuine enlightenment, if you had that one that is really beyond what you know, what you knew before, then say something else to prove it. So then he composed another verse that said, last year's poverty was not real poverty. This year's poverty is finally genuine poverty. In last year's poverty, there was still ground where I could plant. In this year's poverty, not even the hoe remains. So Yangshan said, I grant that you have realized the Zen of the Tathagatas. But as for the Zen of the ancestors, you haven't even seen it in a dream. Would you give up at that point? Or would you keep going? How determined are we? So then he composed another verse. He said, I have a function. It's seen in the twinkling of an eye. If others don't see it, they still cannot call me a novice. When Yangshan heard this verse, he went back to Guishan and said, It's wonderful. Zhang Yan has realized the Zen of the ancestors. What's the difference? Last year's poverty was still a ground which I could plant, my hoe. This year's poverty. Not even the whole remains. It's good, isn't it? And then he said, if others don't see, they still cannot call me a novice. 
one step further. From what to what? Look at it. So in this koan, a monk came to Xiangyang as a teacher and asked, what is the way? Xiangyang said, a dragon howling in a withered tree. The monk said, what does that mean? Xiangyang said, eyeballs in the skull. What is the question? What is the way? Where does the question come from? What is the way? Where does this, this monk come from when he brings up such a question? Right? He comes out of a conceptual realm. What is the way? I want to know what is the way. Can you point it out for me? It's also relying on, I'm lost, show me, give me a clue, give me directions. And Zhang Yan is answering from the experiential realm, in which there are no questions. Right? He's dealing with it from his own personal experience of being trapped in the depth of delusion, being trapped in a pile of books, and being free in the depth of realization. He knows very well both states. He knows despair. He knows frustration. And he sees it, he hears it. In the question. So instead of pointing the way, he's actualizing, he's realizing and actualizing right there. A dragon howling in the wither tree, eyeballs in the skull. Just that. That's plenty. It's plenty to go to where the answers are not even yet born. We are not even born. The way, the Tao, right? we step into it, onto it, with many nagging questions, ideas, what we might discover, where are we going to go? What are we going to see? What are we going to leave behind? How will we feel that when we get there? But do we take the time to verify these questions? To verify whether or not these questions have any meaning? Or even if they are helpful? They seem real, they seem agonizing. They come from a place of frustration, from a place of feeling lost, not feeling in touch, not feeling connected, feeling rejected, 
wanting to be a part of, wanting to belong. But we don't know. When we come with a question, we don't know. We don't even know how to look for the answer. We have no clue what it will feel like to actually experience it. That's why Xiang Yang completely gave up. The hell with it. This is not working for me. I'm completely stuck. A few weeks ago, I, talk, I was talking to somebody, one Sangha member, about Jukai, and, and as, as this person was beginning to experience the, the significance of, of this process, I, was, I, was, I responded by saying that there's no way we could know how deep that is, how profoundly illuminating that is. We have ideas, we imagine. But until and unless we go through the process, we're stuck in that cocoon. We think we see something new, but often we see the same thing from a different angle. It takes time. It doesn't have to take time, but it takes time. And it definitely takes devotion. I said yesterday, you know, we are here for the Dharma. We have to fall in love with the Dharma. We have to be so devoted, but not as an external thing to, to search for, to look for. As something to discover within. as something to awaken, that is dormant, that needs to be, that wants to be awakened. So with Jukai, there's no way we can understand, even, even while taking Jukai. There's no way we can even imagine what it will be like, how we will feel like, or about this two, three, five, ten years after, if we stick with it. Now I look back and there's just no way I could know how much meaning there is in no meaning. And we can't know because there are so many, we can't even listen because there are so many distracting thoughts floating around that draw our attention, steal our attention, swallow it, and take a big chunk of our energy. Even after practicing for a while, still, lots of it. And all that means is that just we have to just keep honing the soul. We have to keep sharpening. We have to keep deepening. That's all that means. It means nothing about where we're at. It doesn't mean success. It doesn't mean failure. It means practice.
You get it? Practice. You don't get it? Practice. Learn how to work with that. Learn how to learn to not be surprised. I came across recently this uh, this this woman Kim Boykin. She's assistant professor of religious studies uh, in Wisconsin, and she was on a camping trip with her husband. Colorado, and she uh, came across pamphlet uh, how to deal with bear attacks or with bears, encountering bears in the wild. And um, she said, my husband and I spent last summer at my family cabin, Grand Lake, Colorado. And she said, that when I was in town, I picked up a pamphlet on living in bear country and suggestions for what to do if you meet a bear. And she said, I think she was a practitioner at some point, she said it sounds a lot like meditation instructions. So she decided to substitute thought, the word thought, for the word bear. <laughs> but you gotta, you gotta hear that, it's really amusing. So she says, Colorado has been home to thought since their earliest ancestors evolved in North America. Today, Increasing number of people routinely live and play in thought country. Learning about thoughts and being aware of their habitat will help you fully appreciate these unique animals and their, the habitat in which they live. So what to do if you meet a thought? And she says, there are no definite rules. Well, it says, the pamphlet, there are no definite rules about what to do if you meet a thought. Thought attacks are rare compared to the number of close encounters. <laughs> it's pretty funny. However, if you do meet a thought before it has time to leave the area, or before you have time to leave the area, here are some suggestions. So remember, every situation is different with respect to the thought. Right? The thought, its activity, the terrain, and the person involved. First, stay calm. It's good, right? Stay calm. Don't worry about it. Relax. Breathe, right? If you see a thought and it has not seen you, calmly leave the area. <laughs> so, well, it doesn't mean you have to get up off the cushion. So, don't get any ideas. So, leave it alone, basically, right? So, stop. I'm sorry. Yes, stay calm. Uh, if you see a thought and it hasn't seen you, calmly leave the area. Stop. Back away slowly while facing the thought. Give the thought plenty of room to escape. It does sound like meditation instructions. Wild thoughts rarely attacks people, attack people unless they feel threatened or provoked. Right? We say, don't mess with it. Leave it alone. Don't try to figure out what it's about. Give it freedom. Give it space. And she says, speak softly. This may reassure the thought that no harm is meant to it. Relax. If a thought stands upright or moves closer, it may, tr it may be trying to detect your scent. 
This is not a sign of aggression. Once a thought identifies you, it may leave the area or try to intimidate you by charging you within a few feet before it withdraws. Do not run or make any sudden movements. Running is likely to prompt the thought to give chase. And, and you cannot outrun a thought. <laughs> Maybe that's the best line. Right? You cannot outrun a thought. Wherever you go, there it is. I think giving it space is probably the best advice. Right? So if you have potentially life-threatening situation with a thought or an injury does occur, please contact the Division of Wildlife. And, <laughs> and please share, share this with a friend or a neighbor. Yeah, please do share. So the, the, it's very funny, but she opens this, this spin on, on bear pamphlet by saying, people routinely live and play in thought country. Learning about thoughts and being aware of their habitat or habits will help you fully appreciate these unique animals and the habitat in which they live. Which is very true in what we do and how we work with it. Right? In terms of proactively working with the thinking process. We, we don't just hope for the best. We actually are equipped with instructions rooted firmly in the ground. We are, we are equipped with instructions. Here's what to do. Also, you will encounter thoughts. It's not even a question. But to give it space to learn to coexist, maybe? To learn to leave them alone? To learn to not expect thoughts to disappear? Why should they disappear? The question is, where is the threat? And we have to do it. And the deliberate process of opening the eyes, seeing what we encounter, whatever the thought says, it really doesn't matter. Giving it plenty of space. Letting it stick around if it chooses. Letting it Walk away if it chooses. Respecting it, not arguing with it, not intimidating, not being intimidated by. It's all very valid. So we learn to allow this thought-making process or thought current process. We let it be. We learn to allow it to be. We learn to allow the chaotic movement of the mind lose momentum by itself rather than stop it, tie down, reject it. And when we do that, we actually, there's a point that we realize it's actually lifeless. Meaning, it comes and goes, but where does it come from? Where does it go? Whose thoughts are these? Do they really have any significance, any meaning? 
and also maybe uh, primarily we learn to see what propels it, that process. Right? The, this process gets its juices from, in a way, from what we eat, because we feed it. Right? We, we feed it often without even being aware we're doing it. But as we become aware of this mechanism, as we get to know it better, and learn to allow the thought process to, or the thoughts to roam free, like with bear, We learn to do that without being tempted to feed them. Some people actually do try to feed bears. Kind of dumb, but happens. So, but when we don't feed thoughts or the thinking process, it actually becomes malnourished after some time and it starts to slow down. It starts to dry out. Like a tree that withers when it has no more sap running through its trunk. We provide plenty of sap for this process. The, the advice to not think the thoughts is exactly that. Don't think the thought or think non-thinking. To think the thought is to feed it, to nurture it, to juice it up, to propel it. Thought, emotion, emotion, thought, thought, emotion, emotion, thought, that's the process. And it does take over, actually it takes over the organism. That's why it's so important to sharpen the awareness. I think, you know, I hear it sometimes from people that, you know, we, we are here in Sashin and we see it a lot. And there is a tendency to, to want to find things to be entertained by. Right? So, pleasurable thoughts, memories. Sounds like a good idea, right? You know, I can sit here and fantasize. Think about good things I've done in the past, pleasurable memories, events, or maybe think about a vacation I'm going to take. And then maybe we say, well, why not? I've done enough work on being present. I'm present enough for now. We'll take a break from that. But is there such a thing of enough presence enough awareness. How do we measure that? What are the parameters of enough for now? Too much work. And if it is too much work, it doesn't mean we have to take a break. It means we have to change the way we do it. It means we have to learn how to practice easy. in a relaxed way, even when there is pain. Even when we encounter difficulties, emotional difficulties, or thick, heavy thoughts, how do we give them space? 
Otherwise, it does become a chore. So how do we dry up? How is it done? Zazen. Lots of it. Period after period after period. This is exactly what we do. What we engage in when we see, especially in Sashins. Right? Especially when the periods of Zazen blend with all the other activities and there is a sense of a seamless existence, not just with what we do, also together with one another. It's almost like we lose the the gap, the separating gap that we hold on to before before entering a sashin or the depth of a sashin. And it is designed to for us to do that actually, to to lose the gap. To move as one body. It's a great way to help the process of withering. You know, I, I think for an outsider looking at us, look like a bunch of people who are sitting still for many hours and gaze down with an expressionless face moving around the hallways of the monastery, we probably appear lifeless, depressed. Right? But is, this, is, is that what's going on? Are we lifeless? Is, is this how we feel when we lose this fascination with the thinking process? Is this really what's happening? I think that even practitioners sometimes can misinterpret that and fall into this trap of labeling it as, oh, it looks like, it must be like. Remember a while ago we had a practitioner, did not practice with us for a while, but he came to uh, a sashin, a short one, and uh, of course it's silent and we eat together in silence. And then later on, he said it felt like a really bad family dinner where everybody's pissed off at each other. Right? And of course, there's nothing like that. But for this person, it was real. And he said it because he probably felt as if everybody's upset about something. Never mind the fact that the instruction says don't talk. I have my own interpretations. Right? We walk around and we paint everything in our own personal colors and then we think, well, it's blue, it's green, it's black. It looks like this, it must be like that. And that, that's a part of the thinking process. This is, this is, again, it's a thought. That's all it is. It's just a thought. No more than that. But if we... If we don't know how to work with a thought, then that thought can actually rob us of practice. Actually, rob us of life. Remembering when I was, as I was writing this, I was thinking about uh, growing up in Israel. I was as a teenager. There was an area in Tel Aviv that I hated going to. I just it's downtown. 
very noisy, not very clean. And every time I would end up there for different reasons, hang out with friends or whatever, I would feel this melancholy, this sadness. And I tried to avoid going there for years. And then later on, some years later, I ended up there again. And it was years after doing some deep practice. I ended up there again. And I didn't feel that. And I was waiting for it. It's like, okay, well, it must be coming. It didn't happen. It was very interesting. And then I realized it had nothing to do, ever. It never has anything to do with what I was encountering, what I am encountering. It's just that it triggered something. And instead of taking the responsibility to look at what was triggered, I pointed at the place. In a way, blamed the place for how I was feeling. And then thought, well, if I avoid the place, I avoid the feeling. But how is that possible? If the feeling is in me, if I'm the one producing it, that something else will trigger it at another time. I was telling someone in Dokusan that, you know, the way we feel, something came up, and the way we feel, it's not like we came here and we found it in the closet, and that's, you know, we put it on, and I feel like this, so if I go away, I leave it behind. The way we feel is the way we feel. And we have to work with it, but what we encounter, and especially in Sishin, is designed to bring it up, to bring everything up to the surface, so we have an opportunity to work on it. Or we have an opportunity to take responsibility. And even being here, you know, being guided, uh, being guided by people maybe that have a little bit more experience in following their routines and doing what we do, and a lot of details, obviously. Even in that, you know, if somebody says, be quiet when you handle the jihatsu set, right? Be quiet. This person is not saying more than just be quiet when you do it. But do we hear that or do we hear like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. I, I knew I cannot, I'm not good at this. I failed. And on and on and on and on. And this could go on for entire Sashin actually. None of which can, comes out of, please be more quiet when you handle the jihatsu ball. This is simple. This is concise to the point. Put your hands like that. Do it this way. Don't do it that way. Where is the issue with that? Why do we complicate everything? Remember years ago I was you know, teaching a class, Aikido class, and um, you know, apparently, year, years later, I, I learned about it, but apparently I told somebody, I came over to, to, to correct someone, and I said, 
do this. And then, then he said, but I thought I'm supposed to. And I, and I said, I just stopped him. I said, it doesn't matter what you thought. Here's what we're doing. It's irrelevant. Don't waste time on telling me what you thought we're doing. Here's what we're doing. And I walked away. I think it was like five or six years later, the guy told me about it, that he was very offended by that. He took it very personally. It took him a long time to say that. But this is what we do. We, we create something. And we believe what we create, and we believe that it's actually coming from what we're seeing and what we're hearing. Of course, all I said is just don't, don't waste time. This time on the mat is precious time. You're here to practice. I don't care what you thought. I care about your time of practice. That I care about. Why do you care about what you thought? Why do you want to tell me about this? And what happens when we tell another, here's what I thought. What happens to this? It, that's how we feed it. That's how the sap keeps running in the tree. That, this is what needs to dry up. So shut up. One of the best advices you can give someone. Shut up. Of course, we get insulted by that. How dare you tell me to shut up? And how many of us see that as a gift? Shut up. Oh, thank you. It's exactly what I needed. Right? But that's what it is. It is a gift. So all this extra, all this stuff we pile on, on top of what we hear, what we see, what we encounter, all that has to dry up completely. And that's the process. You know, as, as, as Young Young expressed in the verse, last year's poverty was not real poverty. This year's poverty is finally genuine. That's the poverty, right? In last year's poverty, there was still ground where I could plant my hoe. In this year's poverty, not even a hoe remains to completely burn out, leave no trace. That was the second verse that was not quite accepted, but still works for us works in, in, in seeing that what I think I got I have to let go of because that becomes the sap that becomes that will becomes the juices become the juices that will flow through and will keep the illusion alive not poor enough go deeper into poverty where nothing remains. So in this koan, this, the howling dragon, the world got around. So later a different monk asked Shichuang, what is a dragon howling in the dead tree? And Shichuang said, it still has joy. And the monk said, what well, are eyeballs in the skull? 
Shishuang said, they still have senses. And then another monk asked Kaoshan. Same question. Kaoshan said, bloodstream has not stopped. And then he said, dry all the way. So the process of withering is not what we think it is. It's not to become numb. It's not to become senseless. It's not to become without joy, without love, without excitement. It's completely the other way around. It's to let go of everything that gets in the way of joy, gets in the way of love. Because this is what we do. Instead of seeing the gift that somebody says, when somebody says, shut up, instead of seeing it as a gift, or if somebody comes and corrects us, instead of seeing it as a gift, we create an issue out of that. We don't understand that this is compassion, this is kindness. So we may develop animosity. So to wither is to open up to being able to give and being able to receive. To open up to love. To not be so suspicious. Yeah, I know he's saying this, but what is he really saying? Nothing. Nothing. That's it. That's all he's saying. I don't know about that. Maybe there is a hidden agenda there. I got to think about that. The next period, Zaza, perfect time. So the dragon, and Zen dragons and elephants are depictions of enlightened beings, which in a way symbolizes the sure-footedness and fearlessness among other attributes of these creatures, of attributes these creatures embody. But maybe instead of seeing the path as, or the way, as a way to become a dragon or an elephant, maybe we need to see it as a way to, to awaken the dragon within. To trust that we are dragons. Dormant dragons. So we have to awaken it. Allow it to roam free. the way it was born to be. Now, Shishuang said, it has joy, has senses, and Kaoshan said, bloodstream has not stopped. And Shishuang spoke about this another time, and he said, seize, stop, have one thought for 10,000 years. Be a cold ash, decayed tree, a strip of white silk without words upon it. To dry up all the way. And to not see this process as a process of taking anything away. All we lose is the extra. All we lose is actually what's not there to begin with. That we have to lose. 
And all that's left is joy. But then the monk did not stop there and he asked Karashan, I wonder, can anyone hear it? Hear what? Hear the howling? The song? And Karashan said, throughout the entire earth, there is no one who does not hear it. So the monk said, well, which verse does the dragon sing? He wants to know if he hears it. And Kaushan said, I don't know which verse it is, but all those who hear it are lost. So what is this song of realization? Now what happens when the feet begin to dance in perfect accord with that tune. Now, this is what we have to recognize in Zazen, to recognize that while we don't move, while we don't entertain thoughts, while we don't follow after emotions, we're dancing. And that dance is in the bones. Has always been there. I'll end with uh, one of the last verses Jiang Yan wrote. The cheek pecks from within, the hen from without. The cheek breaks free through the shell. When hen and cheek are both gone, the function has not gone astray. Singing the same song, the mystical voice goes on alone.